0: Welcome to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. We've interviewed the chapter authors of the OpenStax Principles of Management textbook with the intention of bringing each chapter to life. Our goal is to make learning management not suck. Now let's learn a little bit about the interviewee for this chapter. Hi, and welcome to the Motivation episode. We interviewed Dr. Laura LaDuke, an avid researcher in workplace motivation. Dr. LaDuke has a PhD in business administration from the University of Iowa. Currently, she is the department head of management at James Madison University. Dr. LaDuke is also a professor in business management, teaching to her students motivation in the workplace. Her main interests and teachings focus on an individual's motivation and how that can correlate with their work ethic. She recently just won the Madison Scholar Award in 2019. Please welcome Dr. Lord LeDuc. Good evening, Dr. LeDuc. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. You're very welcome. So let's get right into it. Some people struggle to find motivation in their life, right? And people seem to be finding themselves hitting a wall more than others. Why do you think some struggle while others do not?
1: Well, that's a really big question. And there's a lot of possible reasons. And I think that's one of the reasons there are so many motivational theories is that motivation is impacted by so many different things. It's impacted by people's individual sense of self. It's impacted by their interests and what they're excited about and what they're not excited about. And it's impacted by the situation and whether or not they're bored, whether they're excited. You know, there are just so many things that go into it.
0: Right. I I, I definitely agree with you. So how do you believe people who get affected during their work ethic when they are struggling to find their motivation?
1: So it really depends. And I think one of the things that I I really like about this topic of motivation is that I didn't really appreciate how challenging it was until I became a manager. And then I found myself spending a lot of time trying to answer that question and not knowing how. It's actually one of the main reasons I decided to get a PhD and and just study management more in depth was to try to understand it. And then what I learned, of course, is that it's really complex and you have to have an understanding of multiple different motivational theories because it could be different things for different people that's causing them to be motivated or unmotivated. I would love to say there's like one
0: one thing, but there's not, there's like multiple things for multiple people. I completely understand. So that being said, what motivational theory works best for you or you found that has been able to move you forward?
1: The chapter talks about the difference between content theories and process theories, and I think as a manager, when I think about my individual employees, what's more helpful is the content theories. Because they're really about trying to understand each individual and where each individual is coming from and what their interests are and what their needs are. And based on that, you can figure out how to influence their motivation.
0: So you're basically implying that you like that contact theory better just because you can see individually the person instead of as a group, you see them as an individual, which is amazing. And as an employee, myself, we love that as for managers. So you say the contact theory works best for you as a manager. Can you explain a little bit what process theory is?
1: So the process theory is more about how people kind of are generally motivated. And so when I think about process, I think about universals. This is how everyone can be impacted by organizational decisions or organizational communication. And so the process theories are really helpful if you're designing a new HR practice or policy or you're trying to figure out how to communicate a new policy where everyone is going to get the same information. When you're talking about those universals, the process theories, I find much more helpful. Whereas when you're thinking about your individual employees, the content theories, I find more helpful and applicable.
0: Right. So you're basically saying that process theories is more concrete. Here's the evidence. Here's what's going on. Like general information, while the content theories is basically looking at feelings and emotions and valuing that more. That's that's
1: probably a good way to... I, I always think of it as process theories are universals. Like these are things that are beneficial to everyone across the board. And then content theories are specific to the individual and help you understand or think about each individual.
0: Why is it so useful for creating motivational theories?
1: I think as a manager, we're constantly doing two things. We're thinking about the whole team or the whole group and what can we put in place or do that's going to be helpful to the whole group or how can we communicate to the whole group, but then we're also thinking about our individuals within that group and how are they going to be impacted and how can we have a differential impact maybe on this one person who isn't confident. Let's say we're trying to implement a new software and I've got one employee who's just not confident in her ability to use computers effectively the way I go about getting her motivated to use the new software is different from what I would do for somebody else. Who's really confident in their computer abilities. And so that's about understanding her as an individual, but then in general, sort of my decision about whether or not to implement a new policy for a whole group, or when I think about how I'm going to communicate this new policy to a whole group. You're constantly toggling back and forth between sort of the group dynamic and then the individual dynamic and then the group dynamic and the individual dynamic. That's why I think these two different sets of theories work together to help managers be effective.
0: Would you say that you use these two theories a lot as a manager to base your decisions on them?
1: I think it depends on what type of manager and the level of management. What I think typically is that first line managers are going to find the content theories more useful because a lot of that is about managing the people, but you may not have any control over the policies. Like somebody else is making those decisions. (laughs) You just have to implement them, right? But then as you move up and you're in middle management or senior level, the process theories become more useful because you're doing more of these sort of decision-making about policies that impact everyone as a group.
0: Right. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Can you please elaborate on what is positive and negative reinforcement?
1: One thing I will say is that when I talk about positive and negative reinforcement in class, what I usually say is the important thing to keep in mind is that you need to be giving people feedback. And you give them positive feedback when they do something that you want them to do. Because then it tells them, oh, I should do more of that. And you give them negative feedback when they do something you don't want them to do because then they'll know, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore. And most employees actually want to do a good job. And so you're actually helping them accomplish their goal of doing a good job at work by giving them that feedback. And so within that context, positive reinforcement is just telling people they're doing a good job or telling people what you like about what they're doing. And I don't spend a lot of time on negative reinforcement because it's just kind of a confusing concept. You're withholding, I, I don't know. I mostly focus on the positive reinforcement. And then the other thing I tell them is you have to be giving positive reinforcement. You have to be giving positive reinforcement because if you only ever give negative reinforcement, people will hate working for you. And so the thing that's important, I think, to remember from reinforcement theory is that rewards motivate behavior. And even if it's just verbal feedback, that's motivating, that impacts people. So we want generally to do a good job. We want to hear from our managers that we're doing a good job. Keep that in mind. That's the most important thing to remember about reinforcement theory, in my opinion.
0: Right. It's basically explaining just hearing that positivity. It makes you want to keep going while hearing that constant negativity. It's kind of like, all right, why am I doing this? You know, it kind of loses that motivation for that. So speaking upon that, you kind of answered it, but if you can elaborate a little bit more, how does negative and positive reinforcement correlate with motivation?
1: So, I mean, it's certainly a form of motivation. It's having an impact on our, our behavior, but it also is a pretty, Basic level of motivation. If you think about it, this is how we train a new puppy, right? And so it works to a certain extent, but getting to know the employee and figuring out what they're excited about and showing that you actually care about them as a person is also really important for motivation. So I tell my students that reinforcement theory is important to understand from this perspective of positive feedback is important and negative feedback is important and you should always be giving feedback. But I don't go into much more depth than that, just because there's so many other motivational theories that I think are a little bit more complex to explain and and yet important to understand. And so I don't typically spend a lot of time on that theory, actually.
0: So when you started off learning and educating yourself to better yourself as a manager and leveling up at that workplace, where did you start? Where did you see yourself bumping paths? And then how did you end up? be able to smooth those paths.
1: The content theories really resonated with me because when I started asking these questions, I had a team of five full-time and five part-time workers and we implemented a new software and one person was super excited about it. And she was like, I don't need any help with it. Just give me my login information and I'll play around with it. If I have questions, I'll let you know. And she learned the software better than me. And then I had somebody else who was really anxious about it. And I spent a lot of time training her on the software and it was going over the same things over and over until she had the confidence to be able to do it on her own. And then I had this other employee who unrelated to the the software transition. We hired her, she should have been a really good employee, but she was really slow at this one aspect of her job and I couldn't figure out why, but her working more slowly meant that everybody else had to pick up extra slack and i kept trying to work with her on getting faster and i couldn't understand why she didn't get faster so i was like trying to figure this out it was a puzzle to me because she clearly liked certain aspects of her job but this one aspect of her job just seems to really stymie her Now this was after I left this job and was studying motivation in my PhD program. What I eventually realized was that job was just not the right job for her. I was asking her to do something that was not a good fit for what she was capable of doing. It was a struggle for her because she didn't have the confidence that she could do that particular aspect of the job effectively. And it was making a decision that had an impact on other people. And so she was afraid she was getting it wrong. And so she would agonize over every decision. And that was why it took her so long. It wasn't until I understood some of these different theories that I, in retrospect, I could go back and say, oh, I wish I had known that when I was a manager, because I would have either rearranged the job so she didn't have to do that aspect of it and did other aspects she was more excited about, or could have potentially counseled her into finding another position that was a better fit for her. That's where I really got it started interested in this. My interest in this got started was trying to figure out my employees and why they behaved the way that they did. It was intriguing to me. It was like a little psychology experiment for someone who'd never taken psychology and didn't really understand what was going on, but I wanted to because I wanted my employees to be good at what they were doing so that our department would be good at what we were doing so that, you know, we would have good success. And sometimes I just couldn't figure it out.
0: After learning this and after educating yourself on this and taking your time to get into depth on what's going on with your employees, after you like manage yourself better to become a better manager, do you see the progress within your employees as well?
1: I'd like to say yes. It's hard to say when you're in the role. I feel like I've been a manager again, since getting my PhD and I feel like I did a better job the second time around. And I think that my employees would say the same thing, but you know, that's one of those
0: challenges. When you bettered yourself, how did you see your employee bettering their self as well as their work?
1: So I think I just had a better understanding of, first of all, how to communicate effectively to a whole group and make sure people felt that whatever we were doing was fair to the whole group. Like I became much more thoughtful about fairness issues as a result of studying equity theory, that really makes a big difference. And and there are always going to be sort of hierarchies within organizations, and some people will feel less than, and you just have to try to combat that. And so I think that's one of the things I really work to is making sure everyone felt that they were treated fairly, that everyone was heard, like their voices were all heard, even if they were at different levels. I think one of the other areas is just paying more attention to the individual as well. And so if I'm thinking about who I'm going to assign to a particular project or committee, knowing those individuals pretty well helps me do a better job of picking somebody who's going to be interested in that topic, picking people who are going to work together effectively, those sorts of things.
0: Many managers might feel that it might be a little too much or it might be a little too hectic for them to have all these responsibilities as a manager as well as looking at the individual's that are working for them, how do you manage that? Or how would you tell someone how to manage it?
1: So that's a good question. The more effective managers, the ones who are are really passionate about it, and the more you have a passion for what you're doing, the more you're going to be willing to put in the extra effort. Management is not for the faint of heart, man. It's hard work. Giving negative feedback to people is not fun. Nobody wants to have those conversations. Everyone wants to avoid conflict, but your organization, it's not gonna get better if you avoid that conflict. You have to have those difficult conversations. So you have to really want to be there and want to be doing what you're doing.
0: If an organization has a bad system or not so great resources, will this cause the employee's productivity and motivation to diminish? It
1: certainly can, and it depends on so many other contextual factors. You can have a group of people who work really well together and have really bonded and really love working together and they'll keep working hard in spite of bad conditions. You can have people who just love their job and are passionate about what they're doing and they will still work hard in spite of bad conditions. I mean. Look at all of our K through 12 teachers who did not quit during the pandemic when the job was dreadful, right? I mean, it was a dreadful job. And I mean, most of them don't get paid merely what they're worth or for how hard they have to work at that job. And that was true before the pandemic. And then they worked twice as hard during the pandemic, right? So why do they do it? Well, you know, they're passionate about what they're doing. They're excited about it. They want to have an impact on young lives and that's Really, the best sort of motivation is that intrinsic motivation that people are just excited about doing it because that's what they love to do. And the more employees you can get who are intrinsically motivated and then just make sure they have the support they need to be successful and get out of their way, that's like nirvana right there from a manager's perspective. If every employee would be intrinsically motivated to do their job, manager's job would be easy.
0: So how would you say, especially since you are a manager and you said that you worked through the... pandemic, which means your employees also worked through the end pandemic, how would you say you motivated them to continue to work?
1: So I will say that I was until recently the department chair. I just stepped down in July, but was the part department chair through the pandemic. And so my employees were basically faculty members. I had 23 faculty members in my department and college professors, so pretty intrinsically motivated for the most part, not all of them. But still, as the job got harder, people got burned out and it was a challenge. People felt a lack of connection. One of the things that I would note is that when I teach classes in person, I get a lot of energy from my students. And when I teach classes online, I really don't. And so a lot of the things that were enjoyable about the job just kind of disappeared. I tried to just sort of be supportive, understand where people were, how they were feeling. I checked in a lot with people. I did a lot of calling of my employees because we were all working remotely. So we had virtual coffee hours on Friday afternoons periodically. So people could check in as a group and everyone could see how everyone else was doing. And we could share things that were challenging us and things we, that were going well and those sorts of things. Having that sense of camaraderie really helped. So among the content theories, there are several that talk about affiliation or relatedness or, you know, just this need to feel a connection to other humans, essentially. And so I really tried to make sure that that connection was still there, even if we weren't in the same building and running into each other in the hallways, that that connection was still there.
0: So you always made sure that connection was still there. Did you say that's what helped the other teachers that were not so in for it start to become into it and start going on board with the rest?
1: I mean, I definitely think it got us through.
0: <laughs> I definitely agree. So how can we imply motivation theories in the workplace to be capable of achieving better abilities, better accomplishments?
1: So first of all, I'll say, I like all of the content theories. I feel like I've probably said that before. And I like to think first about intrinsic motivation and what are people actually excited about? Like, what would people do even if you weren't paying them to do it? And that can be helpful, helpful insight. And it doesn't always help. Not everybody can do what they love every day at work, but it it gives you insights into things that will be more interesting for them versus less interesting for them. And then understanding the extent to which people feel a, a need for affiliation. They wanna be around other people, they need to be around other people or else they you know, sort of lose their enthusiasm. The extent to which people feel a need for growth. Like some people just get bored really easily and other people don't. Other people are like, no, I just want to know what's gonna happen every day. I wanna come, I wanna do my job and then I wanna leave. Understanding those differences is really helpful for understanding what parts of the jobs people are going to enjoy and what parts they aren't and how you can rearrange or change job duties and responsibilities so that more people are more excited about what they're doing. And oftentimes you can shift things around in a way that, that you're able to do that and give people the opportunities to do things they're excited about or pursue goals that they're excited about. That's going to make for a more successful work environment.
0: You mentioned that you love all the continent theories, but what theory do you believe works best for people to keep their motivation? So
1: all the content theories kind of build on each other. And and so I kind of run them all together in my mind, but I do think it is helpful to think about Hertzberg's motivating factors and hygiene factors. I, I wish he didn't use the word hygiene because it's just like, what does that mean? I don't know. But like this idea that there are things that motivate us and then there are things that demotivate us and they're different things, right? So the things that motivate us are getting to work on something that we're excited about. And that could be different for different people. Different people are excited about different things. Things that motivate us getting to work with other people who we like. Things that motivate us getting to work on something new and challenging, not too challenging, not impossible but something new and challenging that we get this sense of accomplishment when we do it well, or we feel like we're doing better each time we do it, that feels rewarding, right? So those are motivating factors. And then sort of the demotivators are things like having a boss who's a jerk, (laughs) not getting paid enough, not feeling safe in the workplace. And so this is one of the things that we've really seen in the pandemic. We see this great resignation that's happening post-pandemic. Why? Well, we had all these workers who were asked to work in situations that were less safe and they felt less secure. And they did it for a while when they felt like they didn't have any other options or any other choices, but it was a huge demotivator, huge level of dissatisfaction. And now that there are job opportunities elsewhere, people are leaving those jobs that made them unhappy because they made them work in unsafe conditions. So the nice thing about Hertzberg's theory is that it really encompasses a lot of the other content theories, but simplifies it down to, okay, we really just have to think about, these are things that are motivating, and these are things that are demotivating, and they're not the same, but we have to think about both of them because, You wanna avoid those demotivators for people and you wanna help increase the motivators in the workplace.
0: Do you believe sometimes that if you have some things that might be a demotivator for some, but Not. not for all, okay, like I'm not getting paid the best for this, but at the end of the day, my boss is good here. My workplace is good. Do you believe that sometimes demotivators aren't always what affects the employees as long as there's enough motivation in the workplace?
1: Oh, absolutely. There is not a job that's perfect. Okay. Like there's not a job anyone's going to go to and be like, I love every aspect of this job. Every job is going to have some motivators and some demotivators. And the question is balance, right? So what am I willing to put up with? Like these aspects of the job I get excited about, these I kind of put up with, what's the level that I'm willing to put up with? And the level that was okay in the past has changed now. Like the pandemic has changed that dynamic, partly because as I said, people have felt less safe in the workplace. But I think also people had a lot more independence, a lot more autonomy when they were working at home. And then to go back in the workplace and have less autonomy again when they've gotten used to it, I think it makes it a little bit harder. Something that wasn't as big of a demotivator before has become more of one for some people, I would say.
0: We're currently in the pandemic. We're not in the beginning of the pandemic where everything shut down. Things are opening up more. We're seeing faces. But during that timing, what do you say was the demotivator and the motivation for people when they had to work at home? I think that people
1: early in the pandemic felt less job security. Like a lot of people were laid off temporarily. They were worried about getting laid off even if they weren't laid off. People felt less job security and that's certainly something that would be a source of worry and stress. So you can also think about a lot of the demotivators or things that anything that would create stress. And so I think early on, there were a lot of those demotivators, but people stayed because they didn't see other options. And now people do see other options, and that's why some people are choosing to leave their jobs, I think, at this point.
0: So even though being able to connect with someone was hard because you couldn't be next to them or you couldn't be in the same area, would you say that the process theory was also hard because everyone was at a different place in their life and everyone was going through different challenges in their life? And no one was always at the same area at the same time. Do you think that giving that information generally was more difficult?
1: Yeah, it was definitely harder to communicate with everyone during the pandemic. It's hard to replace those hallway conversations when you don't have them. We still had online meetings. You don't get as much of a sense for how people are doing in an online meeting. That was definitely a challenge. Communication was more challenging. Normally, I can communicate things verbally to people and then follow up with an email. And now I was communicating things with an email and then following up verbally. And it was just the verbally tended to be more one on one. And so making sure everyone got the information, paid attention to it, understood it, all of that, that was definitely more challenging during the pandemic. But I think the motivational theory that in terms of process theories that always sort of stands the test of time, regardless of what's going on, is equity theory and just this idea of, you know, you should just treat all of your employees fairly and make sure that they perceive that they're being treated fairly as well, which means communicating things like, here's how I made this decision. And a lot of what I did actually during the pandemic was saying, here's what's going on with senior administration. Here's the decision they made. I didn't always agree with all of those decisions, but I would also say to my colleagues, I would say, look, I'm glad I didn't have to make this decision. Think about all of the things that the senior leadership had to think about before they made that decision. That was a tough decision to make. So communication becomes really important and particularly in a crisis, I would say.
0: Right. And when you say that communication and understanding goes hand in hand together during all that process. Absolutely. So speaking upon the process theories, which theory from the process theories would you say that we should be most aware of? So uh, I'm gonna say two, well, I'm gonna say four. (laughs) All
1: right, I'm just gonna go down them uh, in the order in which I think about them. And we've already talked about reinforcement theory and reinforcement theory is important from this perspective of you just need to remember to give people positive feedback when they're doing things right and negative feedback when they're doing things wrong and they will adjust accordingly. That one I think is pretty straightforward and you don't have to dwell on it more than that. Equity theory, you just need to treat people fairly and you need to let them know what the process was so that they know that it was a fair process.
0: And- I'm so sorry to interrupt. Can you just explain a little bit more what equity theory is for the audience that don't really know what it is?
1: Sure. So the idea behind equity theory is that we're constantly making comparisons. I compare myself to a colleague and let's say I know certain things about this colleague, maybe not everything. I might know, for example, that they work harder than me or maybe I know that they work less hard than me. And I might know what their salary is and it might be more or less than mine. Equity theory says that it's okay if I get paid less, but I also don't work as hard. (laughs) What's not okay is if I get paid less and I'm working harder. So if I discover that I'm earning less than a colleague and my perception is that that person is not as good at their job as I am at mine, my options are to one, go ask for a raise, make a case for it, right? That might not be realistic. Two, I can stop working as hard so that I feel like there's equity in this situation again. Right. And you really don't want your employees to have any reason to work less hard for you. So that's a bad outcome from the manager's perspective. The third is I could go try and seek more information. And if I seek more information, I might discover that in fact, that person appears to be working less hard, but they've got this special project that they're working on that I didn't know about that is much more work and much more difficult or whatever. Or I might just decide, you know what, that person's not the right person for me to compare myself with and I might change and compare myself with somebody else. So what you want as a manager is you don't want people making these judgments that they're working harder than they should be given the amount they're getting paid relative to the amount somebody else is getting paid. And so the more transparency you can have in your processes, the more people can see that the processes are fair, the better off you generally are as a manager.
0: So continue on. I'm so sorry, I just wanted a little bit more what equity is just for people who didn't know continue on down your list.
1: (laughs) Sure. And then the third one would be goal setting. And goal setting theory is basically that we accomplish more when we set goals for ourselves, which is not surprising, right? And beyond that, we accomplish more when we set goals that are specific and that are realistic in the sense that They can't be impossible or that'll just be demotivating. So for example, specific, I could say, oh, I want to lose some weight. Or I could say, I want to lose five pounds by spring break. Much more likely to accomplish the goal if it's specific and if there's a deadline on it, right? At work, a lot of our goals are actually set by other people. So the other thing you want to think about is, is someone else going to accept the goal? And so goal setting theory helps you understand that if the goal is, too difficult, people will just ignore it and be like, well, that's impossible. I'm not even going to try. And if it's too easy, then they'll put forth that minimal effort that's required to meet that really easy goal. And they won't put forth extra effort, which is also not a good outcome. So as a manager, what you want to do is you want to be working with your employees. So you're setting goals that are realistic yet challenging. And you want to keep in mind that you also need to have deadlines for when those goals would be accomplished and that they need to be measurable Like we wanna increase sales by 10% within the next 12 months. That's a nice specific goal. It can be measured. Whether or not it's realistic depends on a conversation with the manager and the employees. And so goal setting theory just gives you a lot of insights about how to use goals to motivate your employees in a way that's effective. And then the last one, the last one that I'll mention is the one that my students never like and that's expectancy theory. And and I totally get why they don't like it. It's the psychology theory where they use lots of weird terms that we don't ever use in real life that don't make any sense. With that said, it really works. I mean, it really explains a lot of behavior. When I say it really works, I mean it really explains a lot of behavior. And so it's the most comprehensive as well because it actually incorporates the content theories into the process. When we think about valence, what we're thinking about is whether or not the reward is gonna be valued. Well, that gets at people's needs, what they want, whether they have need for affiliation or whatever the case may be. So the content theories really go in that valence section. And then the chapter doesn't talk much about self-efficacy, but self-efficacy is this just belief that I'm capable of being successful. And that really goes into the expectancy piece. And it's really important. And as a manager, if your employees don't feel like they're capable, you have to spend some time training and working with them until they get to the point where they feel competent and capable of being successful. And then the third part, the instrumentality is all about, if I do a good job, will I actually get the reward? And that has to do with equity theory. So are rewards allocated fairly in the organization? Because if they're not, I might feel like I could work hard and still not get anything. So why would I work hard, right? And so expectancy theory is like this pretty good meta theory in terms of explaining, it incorporates other aspects of theories and explains pretty broadly a lot of different pieces that go into whether or not someone's motivated or not motivated.
0: Okay, so after reading the chapter and after looking at it all, what do you believe is the most important information that people should take in and really sit with it?
1: First of all, just keeping in mind that there are some universals, there are some things that are universally motivating and there are some things that are universally demotivating. And so positive feedback is good all the time. Another universal will be everyone wants to be treated fairly. But in addition to the fact that there are some universals, each person has different things that are going to motivate them. And getting to know your employees as individuals is going to be the best way to figure out how you can have the most successful work team possible.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming. We definitely do appreciate it. We appreciate you spreading your knowledge as well as giving us some insight more instead of just reading the book, hearing from a person that has educated herself. Thank you so much.
1: It was great to talk with you and good luck with finishing up the project. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. Be sure to check the show notes for resources related to this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.